Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Season eight of Game of Thrones is underway and you can stay up to date with the Ringer staff as we make our way through the final episodes of the series. On the podcast side, listen to Binge Mode Game of Thrones with Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion, The Watch with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald, and a pre-cappable series on the Recapables feed where we'll make predictions on episodes to come. In addition to our Sunday night Twitter after show called Talk the Thrones, our YouTube channel has tons of other Game of Thrones related content, which you can find at youtube.com slash the ringer. And for even more Thrones coverage, head over to theringer.com. Welcome to the Ringer NFL show. I'm Robert Mays, joined a little differently by Danny Kelly. How are you, buddy? Oh, man. I'm excited. Just uh, just about to have this draft finally happen. I am very pumped up about doing this show because a couple different things. I was going to write something kind of batshit crazy about the draft for tomorrow, yeah. but then our boss, Bill Simmons, like, you and Danny should just do some weird predictions about the draft. And I was like, yeah, yeah. we should. And the timing could not be any better because <laughs> just thank the fucking content gods for Dan <laughs> Snyder and for the Washington Redskins overall. Yeah. About... We're recording this little peek behind the curtain at 110 Pacific time. And probably about a half hour ago, Grant Paulson, who is a radio host in in the Washington, D.C. area, tweeted that it seems as if Dan Snyder has taken over the first round of the <laughs> Redskins draft. Okay. This, my favorite part about this draft, and you and I discussed this a little bit this morning as we were planning this show, is that anything is on the table. There's so many different iterations that the top 10 could take, how that would affect the first round. Nothing that happens tomorrow night would surprise me. And that is the coolest possible place to be. I'm going into the first round with like a completely open mind. It's great. I feel like, I feel like, I mean, obviously every year it feels a little bit different, but like, I can't remember feeling like, like just the broad range of outcomes for how the first round could go. I, I can't remember it ever feeling like quite this wide open. So because the draft, there's no the consensus. Yes, there's no consensus. And the trades were already made last year and in recent years. Right? right. So like the Rams had already moved up. The Eagles had already moved up last year. We already knew that the bills were planning on going up because they kind of assembled all of that draft capital. The same right. was the Jets had already traded. So it's like, all right, well, the Browns are going to take quarterback. Jets are going to take quarterback. The Bills are probably going to move up for one. You know, we know all this. And this year, nothing's happened yet. Everything has stood pat, and <laughs> that's not going to be how is, it is. First round is going to be chaos. So we are going to do our 10 big predictions for draft night. And they're not going to be singular predictions. They're going to be about right. specific position groups. They're not going to, they're going to be about just kind of trends we're going to see, things that can unfold. So let's dive straight into this. And, and yeah. it, very simply... Who is going to be the first pick in the draft and where is he going to go? So why don't you kick us off? <laughs> I love that. First of all, I love that we still have like not a very strong grasp on like what the answer is. I, I'm so sticking, I think we do to a certain degree, but continue. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with Kyler Murray to the Cardinals. I think, you know, as we've talked about, it, it's it came up at the combine. It almost felt like a certainty at that point that this is what every this is what the Cardinals are doing. But then that's why it I got would, to the point where everyone was, it was like over. Yes. It was over. It's too much. It's too much. <laughs> that's why it's great. But you think that he's just you can't pass him up. You think yeah. that he's that good. You think that no matter what happens with Rosen, no matter what they end up getting for him, it's worth getting Kyler Murray when you have the chance and you don't yes. have to give up anything more than your pick. I think he's that dynamic of a talent. I think there's obviously concerns about his height and, and his lack of starting experience, but I, I think he has 
the ability to be like a franchise changing player if they can get him in that system and um, you know get a little bit of a supporting cast around him. Obviously, that's important too. But um, you know, I just think he has that that upside and that potential to be a game changer for them. Um, we did not see any of that with Josh Rose. And I mean, you can point to a few throws he made where last year where it's like, oh, okay, I can see that. But like, that's it. I mean, there just really wasn't that dynamic ability. I think Murray has that. I think the Cardinals are going to bank on that. I mean, I think, you know, uh, Cliff Kingsbury has one shot at this probably as an NFL coach, a head, head coach, I should say. Um, and, you know, I think just with the way that the Rosen thing went and, and you know, past picks not really panning out, I think uh, Kime is, you know, he's under the pressure to, to really make a, this thing work. And so I think Murray is the answer to both of those things. And so, I don't know, that's, I, that's why I lean that way. But again, it's I, I just kind of like wouldn't be shocked if anything happens, to be honest. I think Kyler Murray will be the first pick in the 2019 NFL draft. I do, <laughs> not, think, I do not think it will be by the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> Okay, who? Which team? I think the Raiders make too much sense. They have the draft capital. They oh have the God. motivation. They got the ammo to move up for sure. They absolutely do. And the moves they've made yep. when it comes to free agency receivers, I think they want to win pretty soon and they want to build this team. They also need to sell this team. Yeah. And oh, that's yeah, that's a really good point. We've talked about the Derek Carr financial situation a lot on this show. I understand why you wouldn't cut Derek Carr in March. If you don't know what's going to happen, but if you pick Kyler Murray, if you trade up and draft Kyler Murray with the number one overall pick, you can release Derek Carr if you want to. You can trade Derek Carr if you want to. There are uh, so many different things you could do when you have the the flexibility of having a guy like Kyler Murray on your roster. I just think if you're Arizona, I still believe in Josh Rosen. I really do. Mm -hmm. And I think beyond believing in Josh Rosen, the reason that I feel like the Cardinals should do this is that the benefit of having a quarterback on your roster and having a top five pick is that you can trade that top five pick to Hall. Exactly. Yeah. It's what the Colts did last year. I think if that is an option for you and you believe in Josh Rosen as a quarterback still, that is my favorite outcome for them because they still have enough holes. And I just think that's what you do. If that is available to you and you think Rosen can do what Kingsbury needs him to do, that is the move I would make. Even if you think Kyler Murray is great. This isn't a Josh Rosen or Kyler Murray thing. It's a Josh Rosen and the 23rd pick and a second round (laughs) pick or Kyler Murray. And that's the calculus that you have to make. And I just think with all of those things in play, that's the move I would make. Man, and it would be so much fun to see Murray on a same, on the same team with like Antonio Brown, yes. and Tyrell Williams, and I, I'm sure that the Raiders are thinking that exact same thing. <laughs> and I'm, the, the Raiders have to be thinking: one, what is the best outcome for a football team, and two, who are we going to put on those goddamn billboards? <laughs> and if you have that yeah. version of your team, and even if he doesn't play this year, even if you keep Carr, whatever. To have that guy as the heir apparent or your starting quarterback when you're about to make this move to a, a, a region and a market that all they care about is entertainment value. It makes t- so much sense to me. It's Man. it's about how much you'd have to pay to go up and get it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I completely agree. I think it's such a fascinating scenario, um, and that's why that's why like making this pick, making this prediction, I think is so difficult because I think everything you said to me like makes total sense, and, and I can't. 
I can't like poo-poo any of like your main points other than I just think my gut is telling me that the, the Cardinals are going to love Murray too and that they're going to take him. So, man, I mean, it's just crazy. Right, it's like, gonna, you're the Cardinals, right? Like, let's just, let's play this on a practical level. If you trade one for four and what's, what are the other, the Raiders of their first round picks? Uh, they got 24 and 27. 27, that's the Bears pick, right? 24 is the, the Bears pick, 27 is the Cowboys pick. Cowboys pick, So yes, let's say you get the right. 24th pick and the fourth pick for number one. Okay, plus an extra second round or whatever. So at four, you take Josh Allen, for example. At mm-hmm. 24, you get, let's say, let's say let's say at four, Quentin Williams is still there. You get Quentin Williams at four. Let's say at 24, Brian Burns is still there. Right. So you get Josh Rosen, Brian Burns, Quentin Williams, and I don't know, what's Juwan whatever, what's his name, the corner, the long corner? Uh, Williams. Juwan Williams. Let's say you get a second round pick from, or let's say even a third round pick. Let's say you can pick Daryl Henderson in the third round. Just again, all this is all hypothetical. Just, yeah, yeah. So Josh, you get instead of Kyler Murray, you get Josh Rosen, Quinnen Williams, Brian Burns, and Daryl Henderson. Oh man! Right? Yeah. So maybe it's not a, a running back because you have David Johnson. But let's say you get Miles Boykin. Right. So you have Miles Boykin, Quinnen Williams, Brian Burns, and Josh Rosen. <laughs> this is the type of stuff at stake, and I think that's why it's worth considering. I I know, but I just think that again, the quarterback. The importance of a quarterback, the way a quarterback I, can I elevate a team around him, is so crucial. Uh, that I, if I'm the Cardinals, I'm actually uh, I'm still sticking with with Kyler Murray in this in this instance. I just think he has the ability to to make that big of a difference. And, and it's like in that scenario that you laid out, it's definitely like convincing. But at the same time, I don't think Burns is going to fall that far. Well, yeah, that, that, that's all. To, yeah. All that stuff has to happen. Plus, those guys have to turn out. Of course, and, and so that, that's, there's just yeah. But that's the thing. It's but there's no guarantee that Murray's going to turn out. I know. It's it's not like you're trading for <laughs> Drew. Brees. He's an asterisk. It, he, he's they an all, outlier. All these yeah. guys are. All these guys are. And that's why, to me, I just think that I believe in Rosen enough where the gap between what Rosen could be for you and what Murray could be for you is not worth giving up those players and yeah. what could possibly yeah. be on the table. That's what I'm saying, and, and I'm I, sure I am a Rosen having, believer, yeah. and that's it informs my opinion of all of this stuff. But I think that's something you have to take into account. All well, right, the Cardinals. The, the nice thing is the Cardinals know who Rosen is. I think more than anyone at this point, obviously, since they've seen him in practice and they've seen him in the building and all that stuff. So they have a very strong grasp, I think, of who they think Rosen can be, and so I think that's going to inform this decision, and, and we'll find out. I mean, at this point. It's really split. I, I think it's come to the point where a lot of people don't believe that Murray's going to go number one. So it's really fascinating. I think he'll go number one. Again, I just don't think it'll be Arizona. And let's throw out Brian Burns. Let's uh, let's put Cody Ford in there. So you get your offensive line to protect <laughs> your your quarterback, and you get a defensive yeah. lineman, and you get a corner or a receiver, whatever. There's just there, it's too much to give up for my in my opinion. If you can get something of a haul for it, all right. right. Let's get to prediction number two. Question number two. Yeah. We're going to stay on the quarterback train because that's all anyone gives a shit about, let's be honest. <laughs> well, it's going to define the draft, let's be honest. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saying that to you is probably the worst that you could possibly hear. <laughs> I just broke down 100 guys in the last two weeks. Trust no me, I, I care about the guys that are not quarterbacks. <laughs> all right. Yeah. How many quarterbacks go in round one? I yeah. think it's a really fun question. And I think we have the same answer but yes. I think we have slightly different details associated with it. So let's go a couple layers here. How many quarterbacks go off the board in round one? Mm-hmm. What order do they go in? And to which yep. team do they go? At, and at what pick? That's another part of this. So you go first, and then I will tell you why you're wrong. Okay. So I think there's going to be four quarterbacks that okay, come off we're, the board we're, in the first round. We're, we agree on that. 
We're, we are and, in concert there. Let's go. And then to me, the order, there's a huge question mark about the order because of the potential for teams to like trade up and everything. And, and I think the order ultimately will come down to Murray to the Cardinals, Drew Locke to the Giants, Haskins to the Broncos, and then Daniel Jones to the Redskins. But as we heard today, the Redskins and Giants are both potentially looking to trade up for either Jones, Locke, or Haskins. I don't know. Like, there's there's really no like consensus on what the reports are saying. So um, the order to me is less important. I that's my those are my connections. I think Murray to the Cardinals, Locke, Giants, Haskins, Broncos, Jones, Redskins. So my opinion is different, and I also think we have them at vastly different spots. Because yeah. I think Murray's one to the Raiders. I think Haskins goes number three to Washington. They trade up to three. Okay. Yes. I think that Jones goes number six to the Giants. <laughs> and I think Locke goes number 10 to the Broncos. I think yeah. there are four quarterbacks in the top 10. That could that's how happen. this shit happens, man. Yeah. Every year it's like, ah, how many guys, you know, is there, do how remember it in like a September or October when we were people were trying to defend the Giants getting Saquon Barkley. It's like, well, there aren't any <laughs> many quarterbacks in the first round in this draft. So, I mean, it, they made a great choice. It's like, all right, that's cool. Four now we're going to have four 10. in the top 12. And I, I really do feel like that could happen. Oh, yeah, I do too. I mean, this this class really reminds me of, what it, what was it, the like 2011 class? Yeah, the, the Blaine Gabbard, Christian Ponder, Jake Locker yes. group. Yeah, Cam this, Newton. Or I guess it was twenty. Was it twenty eleven? It was yeah. twenty eleven. Oh yeah, that because that was the it, ridiculous Hall of Fame defense year when all those teams really screwed up and picked quarterbacks <laughs> outside of Cam Newton. Cam Newton's a very good player. So this I think has a very strong feel to that. Like it, that's just how like I think everyone's getting desperate. It's a great comparison. And I mean, you're gonna have a guy like Jake Locker go number eight. You know, eight overall. And and I remember just like I very vividly remember everyone talking about Christian Ponder as a first-round pick, and I was just like, what? <laughs> and that's how I feel about like Daniel Jones right now. It's just like, what? What do they see? And oh, so I, you've come around on Drew Locke. You're a Drew Locke, Drew Locke believer now. I would I'm, definitely I not go not. that far. I know you're not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I actually think I might have like come around a little bit on his overall potential. Yes, let's do this. Come on. But I, I'm, de- I'm not confident in that whatsoever. Um Actually, just using that class, like lock, Locker reminds me of, of Locke a little bit. Yeah. Ponder reminds me of Daniel Jones, absolutely. And then who else was that? Who, Gabbard, Gabbard reminds me of D- Daniel Jones also, kind of. Uh, I don't know who Haskins doesn't really have a comp in that class, probably. but Yeah, um, weirdly, they're all more athletic than Haskins. Like the, the, all those guys <laughs> had some movement right. skills, and Haskins does not whatsoever. PFF had a really interesting comparison, at least statistically, for... Uh, one guy's NFL stats with Haskins' college stats, and it was Sam mm-hmm. Bradford. I saw that. Which that I was thought was interesting. very interesting. I was like, that makes sense. You know, stylistically, they're not necessarily the same, but in terms of what you want out of a pocket passer, I could see that kind of thing. If he could say healthy, that's not like necessarily the worst thing. I guess, I, so. I'm with you. Trust me, I've always been more <clears throat> of a Sam Bradford defender than most people. <laughs> but so I think that both of us are the of the opinion that there's going to be some movement within the top five or the top yeah. seven for some of these guys because... I think that they're, it's about the noise, right? So let's say before the draft even starts, Washington is worried that Oakland would take Haskins at four. That's why you need to get to three. The Jets definitely want to trade out of that pick if possible. 
Yeah, they've because, been like telling everyone that they want to move back. It, they're in the perfect spot. It's the exact opposite spot of where they were last year when they had to trade up with the team that had a quarterback. It's the benefit of having a quarterback in that area. Totally. And the reason I think they're more prone to do it at three than San Francisco is at two is because it's a different timeline and it's a different level of urgency. I think that the Jets... <sighs> I mean, McCagnan has done such a terrible job, and I think they do need to win <laughs> relatively now, but first year of a coach, yeah. all that stuff. With Lynch and Shanahan, we're going to year three. They haven't done anything in the win column. I still have right. a lot of faith in what they can do, but I think they're more prone to just stay there and take a Bosa because take they're like... a blue chip player. It, yeah. Yes, because it's about optics, and it's about message. It's like, all right, we are getting the best guy because we're making the best team right now. And I think that shit does matter. So yeah, that, that would have been a move they made like in their first year. Correct. Or yeah, made, yeah. Well, they did make it in the first year. They moved from two to three and, oh, yeah. and fleece my team out of two third round picks. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So I, I think that three makes more sense for Washington. The Jones Giants six and 17 thing, it, it's just so strange to me that a year after they didn't like any of the quarterbacks and they're just like, yeah, you know, none of them are worth two. They would risk... <laughs> Saying we want a quarterback in this draft, but we'll just take whatever's there at yeah. seventeen. It, it just—it's my problem with everything this team has been over the last twelve months. If there's no cohesive, there's no plan. No, there's there's so many <laughs> contradictory elements to the stuff they do, and like that's the most frustrating part of it is that you can do things that are seemingly against the grain or seemingly against conventional wisdom, but right. they have to be part of one cohesive approach. Exactly. And what yeah. they do is not that. And that's why it's so frustrating. And I think, honestly, if Jones were to go six and the Giants-Jones noise is real, and Locke is sitting there at 10 for Denver, I would do backflips if I were the Broncos. Yeah. I think he's absolutely. better than him. I think he's really talented. And to not have to move up, I think is great. The yeah. two things we have not discussed before we get going to our next question here is which non-obvious teams are in play for a move like this. Yeah. And I think the answer is twofold. I think it's Cincinnati and I think it's Miami. You're not going to throw the Buccaneers in there? So I don't think so because I think it'd be <laughs> tough to move on from Jameis in year one of a, of a new coach. And I think the ownership... Mm -hmm based on what I've heard and what people have told me is committed to at least figuring out this year and moving forward. Seeing what happens this year. And that yes. Makes, yeah, that the, makes total sense. The other team, I mean, at the very least, if he plays really well under Arians, you franchise him and figure it out a year later. Totally. That, that, that's having that weapon is really important. The, okay. The, so I do, I agree with you. I think the Bengals and the Dolphins are the other kind of two potential quarterback teams in this class. And then, I mean, going down the list, can you... Uh, the Titans I've actually heard kind of mentioned in the same breath, but it's, that was before the Ryan Tannehill deal to me. Yeah. And that's fair. That's they would have been in that mix because I think they're less sold on Mariota than the, uh, than the bucks are on Winston or less committed mm -hmm. to him for the next year. But right. I think that with Tannehill, you give yourself another bite at the apple. And I think that's why they're not in the same group with the Bengals and the dolphins to me. The thing about the Dolphins and the Bengals is they don't have to be aggressive. Right. They, there the, is no, yeah, the, there's no the, motivation. There's no, they don't have to be pushed to do something that's not prudent or not in the best interest of their franchise because they have answers right now. Or if you're Miami, you just don't care. It's like, we'll win two games and we'll figure it out next year. The Dolphins actually remind me a little bit of the Cardinals last year in the sense that I don't think the Cardinals went into the draft thinking we're going to pick Rosen. 
you know, we're going to trade up for him aggressively and pick Rosen. I think it was like he started to fall. They had a very good grade on him. And then they moved up and they didn't have to, they didn't have to spend a ton to move up to get him. So I could see the Dolphins taking the same sort of tack in the sense that, you know, if one of these guys starts falling, if Locke is there, they could, they could take him. But I think they're not going to, like you said, they're not going to spend big resources to move up and take a guy when they're really not established and prepared to contend with a rookie contract at this point. They, they, I think they want to like continue to allocate resources and kind of then go from there. And next year's draft class with quarterbacks is always going to be better, but like it actually is better. And so um, I, I think, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, if I were them, I would wait till next year. We, Kevin and I have talked about it. We talked about it in the show. We were like building the dolphins plan. The yeah. difference to me between the Cardinals last year and the dolphins this year is that the Cardinals were kind of in no man's land when it came to team building. You know, they were a team that <laughs> yeah, had just traded true. for Chandler Jones and paid him a lot of money. They were a team that had given out money in free agency to offensive linemen to kind of reshape that group two years earlier. They were in just scrambling after Arians left and Palmer decided to retire. They just didn't have any certain direction and they tried to rebuild on the fly. The Dolphins are not re- they're not on the fly at all. The Dolphins are firmly grounded into the plan that they have right now. And I think yeah. that's why they would be less prone to say, oh, there he is. Maybe let's go do it. I think they're going to stay the course more than most teams would in this situation because they have absolutely no reason to panic. Yeah. All right. I always forget, I always forget that the Cardinals had Sam Bradford last year. <laughs> it was, it, it, it's, it, it is one of the most indefensible <laughs> choices that the team has made in some time. <laughs> they gave him $20 million. <clears throat> oh man. Forgot it, about it, that. And Glennon, right? Wasn't Glennon on the team too? Yes. And that, but Glennon is the exact <laughs> version of that a year earlier with Chicago. Yeah. When you're going to do this, you do what Miami did. You give Ryan Fitzpatrick five and a half million dollars. That's <laughs> how you do this. Yes. That's why I love the Dolphins. Okay, yeah. let's move to question number three. The position group that really seems like it will be the defining position group of this class. So how mm-hmm. will the defensive line class dictate how the first round goes and how early will we see the run on those guys in the first yeah. 10 to 15 picks? So, so yeah. which of those guys do you see coming off the board Let's say the Dolphins pick a 13, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say from 1 to 13 where the Dolphins are, and the Dolphins have every need on the, in the books, so they're in play to pick one of these guys if they like him. How many guys from 1 to 13 do you think are defensive linemen if we don't see quarterback craziness? Um, let's see here. I'm just going to go down the list. Okay. Um, I think Bosa, Josh Allen, Quentin Williams, Ed Oliver, so that's four. And then... I think you could make the argument for Brian Burns. He's a so guy that least, could easily slip in the top 10 to me. At like least if, five. If he went to like Detroit at eight, would you even blink? No, it wouldn't no. surprise me at all. So at least five. And then I think Montez Sweat is a huge wild card, but he's probably going to go in that range too. So I think six is like six of the top 15, I think are going to be defensive linemen. And then we've already said four potentially in the first 10 are going to be quarterbacks. So we're talking about 10 out of the 15 first picks are going to be like either defensive line or quarterback. I mean, that's there's tons of scenarios, but like potentially that's how it could go. So that's why. So if you're a team like Detroit or a team like Buffalo, for example, mm-hmm. who has a lot of needs in a lot of places, it can really go any direction. I mean, if you're the Bills, which positions are off the board to you? <laughs> quarterback, I guess. Safety? 
maybe you like yeah. your safeties. I mean, but you could easily use another corner. They have a young corner that they like, but I don't think it precludes them. They could use some injection of speed at linebacker and some youth. Their defensive line, especially on the edge, it's getting old. Shit. They're old, and those guys are entering final years of their drafts. I know Jerry Hughes is. So there seems like everything is on the table for Buffalo. I think Detroit mm-hmm. is in a very similar spot. The only spot for Detroit that doesn't make any sense to me is tight end because they just spent on tight end and free agency. I can't imagine them taking a top 10 pick. I've seen Hawkinson there. That doesn't make any sense to me. But if you're for for Detroit fans, I hope they don't take Hawkinson just because it seems like top 10 tight ends in in Detroit is like a recipe. Yeah, exactly. It's like if the (laughs) when uh, Rick Spielman's wife told him yesterday that the Vikings take a corner, she's kicking him out of the house. Yeah, there's a little bit of the the troubled history. There's it's going to affect how people see it. But teams like that. And, and I think that you know, a team like another great example in Atlanta, if four quarterbacks go in the top 10 and you're the Falcons and the Lions come on the board and Ed Oliver is there, mm. Stump, yeah. something like that, you're just rejoicing if you're a team that needs defensive line help if those quarterbacks go because that means more guys are in play for you. Yeah, Absolutely. And if you're the Falcons trading up from 14 to 8, I don't know, I don't have the trade value chart in front of me, but it's like something like a third or fourth rounder maybe to like go up there, obviously. It's not like going to break your bank completely and to be able to get a blue chip player, you know, at that spot is going to be huge. It's like having a top 10 pick when you're not in the top 10 and it's it's I don't know. I I think it's definitely possible that some of these like top guys, you know, like the 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 best talents in this class could start to fall a little bit because of that. For Atlanta is a team in that mid-range that I feel, again, is on a slightly different timeline than some of those others. The Giants obviously are in slight rebuilding mode. Minnesota's in that kind of same range too, but I can't see them necessarily making an aggressive move. They've never Mm -hmm. really done anything like that. I think they're cool at 18 because they don't have a ton of needs. Outside of offensive line, they're really set in most places, and I think an offensive lineman will be there. But for Atlanta, who's a team that desperately needs front seven help, whether it's on the edge, if you just want to make Vic Beasley a situational pass rusher, or whether it's on the interior, those guys are going to be there. And I think your window is such that it would make sense to go up and make a move like that. Get a big impact player. Because yeah. you have Grady Jarrett's on the franchise tag, you're going to have to extend him. Deion Jones' contract is going to be up very soon. But before you know it, you know, Keanu Neal is going to need some sort of... I mean, he's first-round pick, so obviously he's going to last a little bit longer. But I mean, those young players are only cheap for so long. With Jarrett and with Jones, it's pretty much over. So you really need to do something right now. They spent so much on their offense. It just feels like they're the team yeah. that if that if it falls that way, they're one of those guys that could land a defensive lineman that we're not necessarily thinking about. Yeah, I mean, it's like the lifestyle, the life cycle of a roster. Um, it's it's like the life cycle is maybe what like three years long or something like that. But yeah. it feels like they are in that you know, ready to sort of change out and, and, and start a new type phase when this is their last shot. The Seahawks 100%. were in that world a couple of years ago when they traded for Sheldon Richardson, um, even though he was on last year of his deal. It's like these... And now the Seahawks make, are on the other end. Yeah, exactly. And yep. now they're kind of reshaping it and, and sort of starting from scratch. Not scratch, but like just reshuffling the deck, I guess, or whatever. And so um, Julio Jones isn't getting any younger. I mean, when, when he's in their prime, I think they want to definitely take advantage of that. And Alex Mack is not getting any younger. So... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think you're absolutely right. Like their window for, it's not like their window for a championship is closing, but their window in this life cycle of their present roster, I think, is closing. So, yeah, I think it would make sense. So, even beyond scheme fit and team fit, let's talk about the edge guys and the interior guys just 
real quick. Which edge guy, if he were to go in the top 12, would you say, I don't know about that. And which yeah. guy, if somebody reached for him, you'd say, you know what? I actually like that. So the guy that, I mean, I think the obvious uh, top 10 pick that I would shudder at a little bit is Rashawn Gary. Just leave um, me so far away from all of that. I have no interest <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> I think it's just, you know, it's it's one of those things where player or teams fall in love with the player's traits and his athleticism, even though his, his uh, production at Michigan was never impressive. And he's also got like this labor issue now. So there, there's multiple huge, huge red flags with this guy. Um, I've heard people compare him to Robert and Kim DJ um, in the sense that I think, you know, teams definitely sort of fell in love with Kim DJ. And I, there, there's other factors there that, you know, are different, but personality um, factors with Kim DJ too. I mean, right. That was he fell at the end yeah. of the first round because of that. But um, so, yeah, I think to me, that's the one that would be like, man, I just, with so many other good players on the board at that spot, like taking a risk on that type of thing is, is to me not worthwhile. So, like, you'd rather he, have Burns a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah, definitely. And he's got, I mean, there's red flags with him too. But to me, I just, I, I saw the production. I saw, I like the traits for Burns more, frankly. And so they're you know, fantastic. I, yeah. So I, I personally would, Gary's the, definitely the one. And, and we didn't even include him in that, in that, in the last sort of discussion of the top. 13 guys he could certainly go on the top 13 that i would i just think that would be a huge mistake all right let's talk yeah. about the interior guys because i think that quinn williams and oliver we both think those guys are going to the top 10 depends on where they end up falling the two the two people in this conversation that i think could throw kind of a wrench into all of this are the, are the jerry the, it's jerry and jeffrey when i watch jerry tillery it's the, that is a dude who will be able to make an impact in the passing game i, I mean just explosive penetrator, just somebody that really can get after it. And Jeffrey Simmons has been talked about as a top 10 pick in so many ways just based on talent. Obviously, you know, there's the incident that happened when he was in high school and and people have talked about how that might affect his status and the ACL. There are so many reasons that you shouldn't take a risk on him. But based on talent, we've seen teams... take risks on players that are less talented. That's what right. I would say. Right. So I think both of those guys are players that teams might look at in the top 15 and some of those other guys are gone and say, why not? We need a guy at that spot. Why can't that guy, one of those guys be it? I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, I've seen uh, people, scouts and, and analysts that I respect. I think he's in some guys like top three in terms of this class. Simmons. Yeah, Simmons, yeah. Jeffrey Simmons. Um, that's how good he is. I think that's his upside is as a completely dominant interior defender. And I, I've comped him to Fletcher Cox, but I mean, I've seen... You think you he's know, that strong? Because he seems leaner to me. That's the thing I, about Cox is that when you see him, when you see a movie, he's 320, and he's just barreling people over along with the explosiveness. That's the thing. When I watched Simmons today, I went back and watched a little bit of film. Who did he remind you of? It, yeah. yeah it's, you know what he reminded me a little bit more of was Chris Jones. That I mean, and that's that's a hell of a play right there. Just so. because the length was yeah. so much more important, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And he can play all over the line too. I think he could play on like in a four, in a four, in an even front. He could play like the five tech or whatever. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I really like Simmons a lot as a player. I think he's going to be really, really good. Um, like you said, there's obviously a couple of um, caveats to his his stock. Um, you know, he's going to have to take a redshirt year, which is a big deal to a lot of teams. And so. Um. Yeah, it, he's he's a huge wild card for the first round. I don't know where he's going to go. Yeah. They, oh man, I'm proud of myself because the, the <laughs> Simmons is two inches shorter, 
So Simmons is 6'4", and Chris Jones is obviously 6'6". Six, six. He got tons of length. They have the same length arms, though. Like literally the exact wow. same length arms, which I'm I'm very proud of. That's awesome. Because there's yeah, a I lot mean, of like yeah, swim moves and length. stuff where you can see the length, and that's why I thought he was taller than that. So I, th- I think that when I watch him, it's it's not a one to one comparison, but I saw yeah, shades sure. of that. If we're stealing from your draft guide, I like that. I like that a lot. All right, let's go to number four. How does the receiver class shape this round? And maybe the bigger question: Will it at all? Because. Yeah. It's it, to me, it is the coolest position in this draft from the sense of there are so many different types of players. I mean, whatever you want, whatever flavor of receiver you're looking for, Seriously. he's probably yeah. available in this draft, but none of them are complete. So we're not going to see a guy go that high. So how do you see that position group kind of shaking out tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think this is the deepest position in the in the draft, I think. I mean, okay. you could make an argument that the defensive line is. Uh, I think there's more receivers in this class that have like high upside than any other position. Where's in the, the bottom the of that list to you? So where where would you have that cutoff of guys you think can make a serious impact? Like the end of the third round? <laughs> you had Isabella at, your, at 71 on your big board, I think. Yeah. So who is there anyone behind that? Let me check. Um, Debo Samuel, maybe? I, I can't. I, I don't have your entire thing memorized, but I the fact that I could pull Isabella at 71, not, I'm pretty fucking proud of. How did you not memorize it, Maze? That is just rude. Um, let's see here. I've got, oh, I've got Riley up, Ridley. Right? i got Riley Ridley at number 99. He's, he's on a lot of guys' boards much higher than that. Um, i got Keyshawn Johnson in there in the mix. Terry McLaurin from Ohio State, I think, is a very interesting player. Jalen Hurd from Baylor. Um, tons of potential. McCole Hardman from Georgia. Those guys are all after Andy Isabella. So there's, I mean, those a lot of those guys are sort of projects and they're raw. Um, but I think all of them have like the potential to be impact players for teams. I, I comped Keyshawn Johnson to Tyler Boyd. Um, you know, Jalen Hurd reminds me a little bit of Corel Patterson in the sense that he could be like an offensive weapon. He could play in the slot, I think, and be interesting. He he was a former running. He's back. running back. That's why he did the Corel Patterson thing. I completely yeah. understand where you're coming from. It's funny. so it's stylistically anyway. Of yeah, course, so, I, I get it. And I think McCall Hardman is like a poor man's Paris Campbell um, in the sense that he's you know very very fast track speed. You can use him on to stretch a defense. Um, I think some people are saying Paris Campbell could go in the first round. I don't think that'll happen, but it, it's certainly possible. So um, there's a lot of really interesting receivers in this class. That's a preamble to me saying that I think only two receivers will go in the first round. That's my prediction. Okay, which one? Um, I think, I think that Hollywood Brown is going to be the first. My receiver. guy. Yeah. I mean, so first of all, when I when I first sat down to start studying this class, Marquise Brown was the guy that jumped off the tape to me. Like I thought his his tape was outstanding i hadn't heard a ton like i i kind of went into it a little bit blind just trying to like formulate my own opinions and my first impression was like this guy's gonna be a freaking stud um and then as i went on in the in the draft process he kind of fell down my board because of the list frank injury because of the size concerns um like we've talked about several times on this pod like he's 166 pounds so that's a huge concern but he told me this weekend 171 just just, just there we go just over 170 that's there. that's so. a good threshold i, I like that I, I, um, I, I asked him point blank to be clear i was i was with marquise brown last weekend so we're not like <laughs> friends texting i did his story on him i was on his couch in his apartment i looked at him and i said how much you weigh in these yeah. days he said 171 there we go he was, he was definitive about it <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, I, I really just like his tape a lot. There's certainly concerns, and that that can be said about kind of every receiver in this class. But um, I think he's going to go number. He's going to be the first receiver off the board. 
if I had to if I had to predict it right now. And then I think the other guy that's going to go in the first round is AJ Brown. Um, he's a you know he's kind of taking a backseat in some ways to DK Metcalf in terms of like the perception and everything. But you know he was the most productive player in that offense. He was uh, he played in the slot. He can kind of I think he can play outside. He can track the ball down the field. Um, he's a he's another like two sport guy. I think he was drafted to the major leagues. Uh, he, he's just he's big. He's built like a running back. He's a receiver run in a running back's body. Um, and so he's he's to me a very interesting guy who I think could have a he could hit the ground running in the NFL more than a lot of these guys. So I want to talk about both of them because I, I think they're really interesting. So with Hollywood Brown, I, the the size concerns are totally legitimate. But when I was talking mm-hmm. to him, we were talking about that, and he was discussing kind of his progression as a receiver. And his Antonio Brown is his cousin, which only matters to a certain degree, except when you think about how much they've worked out together. That's and big. Yeah. He really. When he can't, and this is not just from him. This is from Oklahoma's coaches. This is Lincoln Riley telling me when, when Hollywood worked out with Antonio for like four or five times between his first and second year at Oklahoma, he came back as a different player, and he That's was always fast. Yeah, I mean, he has four two four three speed, but he always was running routes full speed. Always, every single route was full speed. His only move that year, more or less, was a hesitation and then move into a speed release. Yeah. Antonio taught him that you don't always have to go fast. There's no need to be fast all of the time. Mm-hmm. It's when do you go fast? When do you separate at the end of rounds? How do you use pace in order to play with guys' expectations? How do you understand leverage and how to set people up left to right? When you're setting people up left to right, if you are going outside to set somebody back, if, if he was telling me this, just describing slants. He's like, if I'm going out to make a guy slide out, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to break back in. He's a good corner. And he knows that. I'm just going all the way up. He's like, yeah. That's, I'm, I, I'm not even going to try to, if I, I want him to think I'm running a slant when I'm actually going outside, and I'm not going to go inside and then back out. I'm just going to do that little hesitation and then keep going. He just, he learned from Antonio so much how to have an answer to every single question. And that's can, what makes yeah. him so cool to me. And that's what makes him so intriguing is that he's not just a speed receiver. He has all of these tools in his toolbox now. And we were talking about the idea of leverage. And he was, it was such, so cool to hear him talk about it. I was just like intrigued the whole time. I was just captivated. He's like, I weigh whatever I weigh, but I'm not stupid. I'm not trying to run this guy over and get open. I'm, I'm not DeAndre right. Hopkins or Rob Gronkowski or whatever. I base my game entirely off of leverage and understanding where he's trying to play me and attacking half of his body. And if at 166, I'm able to, as a guy who benches 315 pounds, get my hands on half of his body because I understood the leverage he was trying to play, half of me or half of him is still lighter than all of me. And it was just such a really nuanced way to think about it. And I just think that's why I would love him on my team because it's not just the speed. He has such a good handle on how to play the position, how every single player in a coverage it is attuned to the other, how they're all on a string. I learned so much just about the receiver position from sitting and talking to him for a day that I just think any team that hears him talk about it like that will look at his physical skills and say, I want that dude. Yeah. Man, you're getting me really, you're right? getting me I really pumped up. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, he's already, he's not, he's my number one guy. He ended up being my number one guy on my big board. Um, I think we haven't updated it yet, but it will be up today. Um, he ended up being my number one guy. Um, he kind of took the jump in the last like week or two. I'm just like going back to my first time watching. I was just like, man, that guy is freaking good. Um, 
everything you just said, I think is awesome. I was just picturing Antonio Brown running routes that whole time. Yeah. Um, but also he does have that speed, which is also a huge part of yep. it. And he, uh, I like the, I like the quote in your story. Remind me who it was by, but he said, um, there's like six or seven guys. He has a gear that like six or seven guys have. Like he is absurdly fast. That runaway, like halfway through the route type speed, that's rare. And so add that in. There's a difference between speed said. and world class speed. That's what his junior college coach told me. Yeah. And, and so and like to me, true. that that was like man, that like I mean, we're super excited about it. Um, you know, I, I think apart from the injury or, or the uh, the injury situation with his foot, and, and obviously the weight thing is a, an issue. But like to me, I just get really. I, I think he has a chance to be a star. So something he told me that was not in my story that's actually worth mentioning when it comes to the injury. Um, he has an extremely high testosterone level. It's abnormally okay. high, and it's much, much higher than Antonio Brown's is. And oh. that plays into healing time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they did blood work when he was working with Antonio, which is like part of the entire process. And he said that he had an abnormally high testosterone count. And that plays into recovery time. I did see, I saw someone tweet, I, apologies, I can't remember who it was, but they said some team is 100% confident that he's going to get back to his pre-injury speed. So that kind of like assuaged my, my fears a little bit too. There is a team in the top five that told him that we would like you to be on our team before the day is over. <laughs> That's all I will say. We're going to come back to this because we have another question, I think, and, and we'll, we'll revisit that. So let's talk bit. about AJ Brown before we move on to our next question because I think sure. that the, the two, the, what sets Marquise Brown apart and what sets AJ Brown apart, I think are two specific things that are different than the rest of these guys. I think that this class sep- it is it struggles with separation, and that's where Hollywood yeah. is different than all of these guys. That's what he does, and I think that's why he's a unique element of this draft. Right. And the other thing is floor. I think a lot of these guys have very low floors. Even mm. if you like Keem Butler, I think it could be a disaster. I think the same right. is cool for, exactly. true for Nikhil Harry. I think AJ Brown has the highest floor of any receiver in the draft. I think at the very least, he will be a productive, useful player in the NFL. And I think that's why mm-hmm, him and Hollywood, mm-hmm. to me, are the first round considerations. This is exactly my, that was exactly kind of my thought process. Like, if you go, like, go down the list. DK Metcalf, uh, Hakeem Butler, Nikhil Harry, Kelvin Harmon, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Um, those guys are all sort of in the conversation as some of the top receivers in this class. Obviously, everyone has a different list, but all of those guys are big, physical, and I think if you look at any one of the scouting reports, it's going to say like, oh, it could struggle separating at the next level. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, that that gives them that sort of floor uh, that a lot of these guys don't have, the higher floor, I should say. And so, um, yeah, the, the and, and I think because it's such a deep class of receiver, I think some teams may be willing to wait until the second round to kind of like totally. find that guy. I will say I think A.J. Brown is the perfect Patriots receiver. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he would be awesome in that offense. Um, so much yak. We could put him in the slot. You could, if you want to put Edelman outside, flexibility. I just think that he fits exactly what they want. Do you want to do you want a preview of my final mock draft who I sure. gave him to? Sure. Who? The, the Packers at 30. No. You don't like it? I reject this as an idea. Oh, I, I see. You got the dragon kind of like in your, in your thoughts right AJ, now, don't AJ you? AJ Brown is too good to be on the Packers. <laughs> I have no interest. He's just like a, he's like a yoked up version of Randall Cobb. No, fuck That's that. That's exactly I'm not, what I wrote. Yeah. I'm, I'm not interested in that whatsoever. <laughs> All right. 
Question number five. Will any linebackers crack the top 10? I think this is a different question than should any linebackers crack the top 10? Because yeah. so much of what we've discussed on this show already is how many quarterbacks could go, all the defensive linemen. I think both Devons are top 10 type talents and or at least top 12 type talents. Yes. Yes. And I think that the way this draft could fall, even if you have a lot of defensive linemen going in that range, in the top 10, whatever, even quarterbacks, I think both Cincinnati and Green Bay desperately need an injection of athleticism at that part of their defense, and they're picking 11 and 12. And that's why I think both of those guys could be gone by that point. Yeah, I completely agree. And in, in the show, I asked you before the show, like, what's your impression of Roquan Smith? He was a top 10 pick. Um you know, how, how have you felt about having him on your defense? And then you in the notes just said, how do you feel about your fucking guy? You know, yeah. Bobby Wagner is the Seahawks are building their, their defense around him. That's exactly I mean, he's, right. He's the guy who they trust um, to be like the, the core nucleus player, the, the foundational player of their defense. Um, if they did a redraft, he, he would be a top 10 pick. Absolutely. He's a stud. Um, I mean, I'm, there could be jokes about that one MVP vote he got that one time, but um, you know, he, he's he's a high high impact player, sets the tone for their defense. I think he he's underrated because the lob and and all that for for years, but he's he's an outstanding player, and I think you could say the same about Luke Keekley. Keekley's in that mold. I, I think Rokon Smith has a chance to be really good. I think him coming on so late last year, missing training camp, all of that stuff. I think that matters for a rookie. I think it really does. I'm, I'm hopeful about the player he can turn into. Mm-hmm. It's part of the reason I think that defense can stave off regression is that he can be so much better in year two. But I think the Bobby Wagner is a perfect example of why a guy like this can be a transformative player and worth a top 10 to 12 pick. Yeah. Because they affect every play. They, they're all over the field. They're in the middle of what you're mm-hmm. doing. And I think that we used to have this understanding that what was going on on the outside was more important than what was going on on the inside. Corners were more valuable than safeties. Defensive ends were more valuable than defensive tackles. Edge rushers were more valuable than middle linebackers. But the way teams are exploiting the middle of the field and how much it's stretched horizontally now and how every single blade of grass matters, I think being closer to the ball is more important than it's ever been. And that's why I think that even if the mm. running game isn't as much a part of football right now and that's why linebacker value may be mitigated i still think the right guy is worth it if he's that player that can cover enough ground and both devons are like that plus both of these guys are extremely good blitzers i mean you're devon bush is ridiculous at it yeah the the timing and the physicality and i mean his ability to both dance around running backs and put his elbow under the chin of of an offensive (laughs) guard for a guy that's it's that small i love both of them i like bush just because again i like the physicality i think that devin white is a more of a finesse player i think even if bush is smaller i still think he plays bigger right when it comes to just how much he asserts himself there's a length concern in in coverage and maybe just in terms of tackling is he going to miss guys because he just he doesn't have that sort of wingspan everything else i get those but i just think both of them are really fucking good like just period i would want them i absolutely agree uh i got him like 1a 1b i've got bush as my top guy but white's right behind him um and I, so everything you've heard in the last two weeks has Devin White going to the Buccaneers at number five. We'll see if that happens. That'd be um, insane. I mean, I, I, understand, I understand it, but it'd be cool. I mean, it'd be a really good conversation <laughs> topic. The idea of a running back or a off ball linebacker being a top five pick. Right. When's the last time that happened? Uh, it's been a while. Um, I can't remember. Aaron Curry in 2009? I think it's Aaron Curry is the top, the last top five one. I was because he went fourth overall. Yeah. AJ Hawk, I believe was fifth was, overall. 
Yeah. It's and 2007, so it's, 2006. It's been a while. It's been 10 years. I'm just pulling this shit, by the way. I don't know, don't worry job. about I, me. Let's go. Dude, I just wrote about this like two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to another position that kind of has a similar conversation about. And that is tight end. And yeah, will we yeah. see a top 10 tight end this year? And should we see a top tight top 10 tight end this year? So let's start with the second question. Do you think any tight end is worth drafting in the top 10? I go back and forth about it so much. Um, I think no. But the way that the NFL is changing and the way that tight ends are, the position is kind of like emerging as um, such a mismatch creation type thing. I can, I could get the, I, I understand the argument for it. Um, but history certainly tells us that no, it's not worth it. Like you can find those guys in the second, third round. Um, so I don't know. I mean, George Kittle was a freaking fifth rounder a few years ago. But you so. take him in the top 10 right now, if you could. And Probably, I think that's, yeah. the, that's the Hawkinson thing. Right. I, I think that Kittle's success will affect how people view Hawkinson, whether they should or not. They're different players, totally. Totally. but wearing the same helmet, coming from the same program, they'll say, look at Hawkinson's production at Iowa. Kittle did jack shit at that school, and now he's <laughs> a game-changing player. <laughs> I mean, that people are going to say yeah. that. that is, it yes. is human nature to think that. I am with you on the mismatch creation and just how much diversity and personnel matters. I also think you can do that in cheaper ways. I yes. love TJ Hawkinson. I would take him in the top 10. But I also could hear the argument of if you're a team like, let's say Green Bay, for example, and you just hired Matt LaFleur, you're really changing your approach offensively. You're going to be more multiple personnel wise. Mm -hmm. Would you rather take TJ Hawkinson at 12 or take Trevon Wesco in the fourth round and be able to have him be your blocking tight end? Right. And that be how you become multiple personnel wise. I think it's I about value. Yeah. And I think more, more teams want guys like this. But how, if you take a guy in the top 10, he has to change your roster. Yes. And I think it's really hard to do at that position. And I was listening to the Roto World podcast that uh, Ben Fennel, uh, mm -hmm. Josh Norris, all those guys did. Yeah, that was a great I, I believe pod. Ted Wynn was on there. It was a very good show. I'm forgetting somebody. Oh, Dan Brugler. And they were, I think, I believe it was Josh. I, I, I feel bad if I am ascribing it to someone else. There were a lot of voices. But Josh brought up how much OJ Howard was supposed to be that guy. And he wasn't. Yes. He hasn't been. And as much as you love Hawkinson, I think that it's hard to shape your offense around that kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And I think if you take a skill position player on offense within the top 12, you have to shape your offense around him. And I don't know if TJ Hawkinson or any tight end will ever be that. Yeah. And I, I, I'm on the same page. I, I think if you're, if you're a fan of a team who takes Hawkinson, it's like, yeah, that's exciting. And, and, He's a like, good player. Cool. He'll help you. Yes. Yeah. But like, I agree with you. Like to me, it's, it's a question of like, uh, you know, what do you call it? Just value and, and, and cost of that, uh, that marginal cost or whatever at that position. Um, who are you giving up to take him in the top 10? Like who are you, are you giving up a potential game changing pass rusher, a cornerback, a shutdown corner? Um, opportunity cost is the word I was looking for. So yeah, it's absolutely it's, right. So I don't know. I, I love Hawkinson. I think he's going to be really good, but he is one player on my list of potential players that could kind of fall a little bit compared to what I think everyone thinks. Only one tight end has been selected in the top 10 since 2007. Only three in this century have been in the top 10. And the tight end so, selected in the top 10 since 2007, no one would do again. 
Right, it, Eric Ebron. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the Lions fans are still kind of seeing Eric and Ebron he in their before sleep. Beckham. This yes. is a perfect example and of Aaron opportunity Donald. cost. <laughs> there you go. Opportunity cost, people. So, and I think that I'm totally with you. And who was the last tight end that we projected as a possible top 10 pick? And where did he go? It was OJ Howard. He went uh, in pe- the 20s? Yeah. No, 17, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, 17 or 18. Um, so, yeah, I, I am with you on every element of that discussion. All right. All right. Let's get to the most important part of this entire conversation. <laughs> How does the offensive line class end up shaking out? <laughs> Question number wait. seven. This is interesting to me because... It's great. Yeah. So I think both of us believe that Jonah Williams is the best tackle slash offensive lineman in this class. He's the one I would bet on. Yeah. Every single I think time. the NFL feels differently. It's very, very fascinating. I was actually listening to another Roto World podcast. They, they do great podcasts um, today with uh, Evan Silva and that guy's a hack. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> he was talking about um, just how that was, that the was NFL, a joke, by the way. Devin and I are friends. I just yeah, to, yeah, to, to be clear, to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, he was talking about how like the NFL, a lot of teams apparently reportedly view him as like a center. Um, you People know, love about, traits, man. They love uh, arm yeah. length. Get out of here with that shit. So I think it's going to be very, very fascinating to see how this O-line class shakes out. I think Jawan Taylor is going to be the top guy potentially to come off the board, even though I still, I, I'm the same as you. I would, I would bet on Williams above anyone. Um, but I, I'm wondering if the NFL will feel differently. So I feel, here's what I think about the tackle class. And I, it's really interesting in terms of need and draft order and how this could all shake out. Because the back half of the top 10 is full of teams that need help at those spots. So you think about the Jags at seven, Buffalo, Denver, all theoretically could take a tackle, right? Mm -hmm. You could have the top three guys gone by that spot. The team I think that is going to be most prone to do something really aggressive in the first round because they need so much help at that spot and those three guys are so definitively kind of in a class of their own, maybe with Cody Ford a little bit behind them, is Houston. Yeah. Like if right. you were if you were the Texans right now, and you're looking at Buffalo at nine, Detroit at eight, again, both teams that need a lot of help in a lot of spots, and you really think your window is a certain length, and that's the one spot you need, do you call them and say we'll give you you know whatever twenty? They pick twenty third, right? Yeah. So twenty three and a second round pick, or and then maybe two second round right. picks to yeah. come up to nine and take Jonah Williams. Because I think they're the team that would be willing and ready to do that. Um, personally, I wouldn't do it because I have a philosophical. I just don't think trading up is a good idea. Unless it it's never is, but we, we, we we've discussed <laughs> this. There are windows at stake here, Danny. <laughs> this is also the team that traded away Dwayne Brown. And thank you for that, Houston. That's a very um, good point. But we have different leadership there now. So yeah. Just, so I don't know. I, obviously, I, I'm on. I, I know what you're saying. I mean, you know, you've got a couple years left of Deshaun Watson's rookie contract. Getting him a guy on the, you know, a left tackle position who could make a big impact in how they, you know, pass protect because he's been hit an incredible amount of times could have a huge you know, it could be a game changer for him. So on one hand, I definitely understand what you're saying, but I think you still have to build around Watson in multiple, multiple spots. It's a, you know, it's not a one-year thing. I don't think they're like one player away from being a Super Bowl team. So I would say no. I wouldn't do it. I'm just saying I think they're the team that would end they up could. doing it if someone did. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, would not, I would never yeah. do that. Yeah, that's definitely sort of one of the main rumors right now is that Houston wants to move up. Um 
So we'll see. I, I, I personally just think moving up for anything but a quarterback is dumb. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I, I, yeah. I, I trust me. I, I'm we're in the same boat here. But you think that just independent of team and moving up or whatever, do you think that Andre Diller, Jonah Williams, and Jawan Taylor are all worthy of top ten picks? Yes. I, I love Dillard. I think he's a very, very good pass protector. Which is what matters uh, right now. Juwan Taylor, I think is, I don't know about top 10. I think he's top 15. That, I, don't know I, I like say. this class. And yeah. they were making fun of me in the office yesterday because Shocker asked me. What do you, you love of? offensive linemen? I was, I, no, it's, that's, but that's the point. I'm not some parody <laughs> of myself. I am, but that, not in this case. I, I like this class because it's a different version of first round offensive linemen. It's not mm-hmm. these traits monsters that you're going to teach how to play the position. All of these guys, to some right. degree, are refined. Even Taylor, who is imposing and physical and the type of guy you want, he knows what he's doing. When you yeah. watch him play against a guy like Josh Allen or whoever, it's like, oh, that guy is, is can play. Like He knows how to be in front of people. It's not an Eric Flowers situation. And again, you link school and position. You know, I think that's gonna, people are going to sit there and say, ah, you know, what happened to Eric Flowers? They're right. so different. You're not saying, I love the traits. I can teach him how to play. These guys know how to play. And at that position, is more, it's more important than any other spot except quarterback. I've written about this. There are so many discussions about it. Practice time, all that stuff. You need so much work to learn how to play that spot because it's not based on natural ability that I think those three guys are so attractive for that reason. You can plug them in. They can be starters for you. And you can find reliable production at those spots that you can so rarely can at this point in the draft. And and it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever, Maze, if if NFL teams were thinking the exact same thing. And we talked about this before. Like, what if there is a huge run on tackles early in the so, draft? And like, yeah, let's let, with that in mind. Let's move to our next question here. Yeah, biggest riser in the first round. With that run possibly happening, my answer is Cody Ford, because yeah. if these three guys go in the top ten. I still think you have teams in that back half of the first round, middle of the first round that need that position. If you're Miami and you're trying to build an infrastructure for the quarterback you're taking next year, don't you need a right tackle? I love Cody Ford too. And he's a nice player. It's very different. Yeah. He's harder to study than a guy like Andre Dillard just because you don't see him dropping back. You don't see him, right, not a lot of right. kick steps, not a lot of traditional pass protection stuff. So there's definitely more of a projection. It's that concern some teams have about versions of the spread offense. You don't see them do the type of stuff they're going to be asked to do, but he's a good player. And yeah. you know, Minnesota may be in that conversation, even though I think they go more interior line than, than tackle. But you know, Miami, if they want one, I think there are players at those spots that you absolutely could see. Even Atlanta. I mean, if yeah, Atlanta's sitting yeah. there with Sam Brilo and they're just like, we'd much rather have Cody Ford, have Sam Brilo be a backup. I know he's making a decent amount of money, but I just think there are teams yep. in that range that could look at a guy like Ford if those top three guys are off the board. That's why he's my answer. Yeah, and I think, you know what? In, I go back to like January, late January and February. Cody Ford was in the top, I don't know what, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly, but he was in like the top 13 like discussion a lot. Like he, he fell. He looks real good in the pads, man. Looks yeah, real he fell good in after, pads. Like the combine, I think like, he kind of fell off people's radars a little bit. Um, he wasn't outstanding as an athlete in the combine. And I think, you know, obviously Dillard was a huge, huge riser. So he kind of like took over. But I remember, I feel like I remember Cody Ford being in the top 10 in some draft uh, mock drafts and, um, people were really, really high on him. He's kind of definitely fallen off. So I buy that. I think he could, 
you know, be a guy that teams really look at as a mauler. He can play two positions or multiple positions. He could probably play left guard or right guard um, and right tackle. Uh, you know, I think he'd be good in several different types of schemes. So I, I like him a lot. All right. Who's yours? I mean, it, it goes back to what we talked about early on. I think a lot of people have, I think, the first receiver coming off the board in like the 20s in, in a lot of cases or, you know, potentially not having any first round picks in the, for the receiver position. I think there's a very outside chance that Hollywood Brown goes in the top half of the draft, even potentially in the top 10. I mean, wow. You said, Look uh, at this. Say, Let's do I'm it. Not, these are, these are, Bold predictions. Yes. To be clear, that we're having fun at this point. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I think there's a slight chance that teams, because I, I really do think that the NFL values um, the rare explosive speed that he has. I mean, we talked about especially as Metcalf. the game is spread out. Especially as the game is spread out, he's the perfect player for the way football is played right now. Yeah, and so I mean, obviously this is a terrible example. But a couple of years ago, we had three top ten receivers. Um, John Ross was what like number five or something like that, and so eight. Yeah, okay, eight. Sorry. Regardless, like that's a, obviously that didn't turn out well for the Bengals, but like I think the NFL highly, highly values that kind that was of nine. Game. That annoys me. That, this is like one of my superpowers is to figure out what. Oh, like, it was number nine. This. Yeah, that's annoying. I'm sorry. But there were two guys. In, was was he the third re- receiver taken? Corey Davis. Oh yeah, in 2017 he was. But yeah, I thought he was at eight. I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, come on, Mace. I know. I'm better than this. All right. Uh, But yeah, so uh, to me, he would be the guy that I think of that could go a lot higher than I think people are sort of the consensus projection is right now. Um, Obviously, with the injury and everything and and the weight thing, people are, are, I think, being kind of conservative with him. But he's the kind of guy who, when he goes in, like, if he went in the top 15, everyone would be like, whoa! Like, you know, like, that is kind of like the crazy pick. It's such a fun pick, though. If you were the team that... If you if you rooted for the team that picked him, you'd, you'd be in the best mood. You'd be like, yes, because yeah. <laughs> it's just such a cool thing to add to your offense. All right, yeah. number nine, most shocking follower for me, I think it's DK Metcalf, just because we've yeah. there was such a conversation about him with how he tested at the combine. But I just think with how limited his film is, how few things we've actually seen him do, some of the other stuff, I, I just feel like he's somebody that we used with the, we saw kind of mocked in the top ten right after the combine happened, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he fell out of the first round. So yeah. just pretty simple. I'm 100% on board. In fact, another spoiler, he's not in my final mock draft. Wow. Look at you. We're on the so, same page here, buddy. Yeah. And, and my surprising, or, or I guess my most shocking follower, another guy we talked about earlier, Rashawn Gary. I think most, it, it feels like to me the consensus is he's going to be a top 15, 17 pick. No, thank you. I think, what if it, like, how shocking is it going to be if he just completely falls out of the first round? I don't think that'll happen. I think the trades are too good. That's what I'm saying, but I think like, especially with the shoulder thing, um, right now, like I wonder if that could push teams over the top and be like, okay, we're just going to go in a different direction. So he would be one guy who, um, it would be pretty, it would be pretty surprising, but I think just based on everything, could could happen, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Okay, uh, the last one here. What is the most batshit insane thing that you either think could possibly happen or want to see happen? (laughs) I love this category. You go first because we've talked about this before the show. There's one scenario I think that would just be really freaking fun. All right. So my scenario that I think is just would make the night the most possible fun it could be. (laughs) Yeah. Is if Kyler Murray does not go number one. Yeah. So the Cardinals pick Nick Bosa or whatever or Corey Williams, which would just be so dumb but be, that's beside the point 
if that happens, I just think it opens the floodgates because I think <laughs> it, it puts chaos. so many people in play for that pick. Because let's again, for if you're Miami and you just think he is a franchise changing player and you just never in a million years thought he was going to be available at two and the cost of the number one pick is so much more and everything else. And you know, Arizona is just sitting there kind of grasping it. If you think that he's the guy and suddenly he falls even a tiny bit, maybe you're in play for him. Maybe Cincinnati exactly. feels that way. It yeah. just seems like, and then what would make this even more fun is if shit just got real weird and the Raiders thought drafted Haskins and team, a team went up for a lock. And I just think that absolute quarterback craziness in the top 10 is what would make <laughs> this draft memorable and awesome. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, like, that doesn't feel too unrealistic. No, it's going to happen. It's going to be so great. <laughs> um, the the batshit insane thing, I think that, um, especially after listening to rumors and, and reports over the last week, to me, the craziest thing that could happen is is just have Kyler Murray be the first pick and then have no other quarterbacks in the first round, or, like, one other quarterback That's in the first That's round. lame. I don't want that to happen. Why are you saying that? <laughs> but, I mean, it, like... There's always, you know, pre like pre draft smoke screens, and um, you know, teams I guess are are benefited by having all this misinformation everywhere. What if like the NFL really just hates Daniel Jones or like really just can't buy into the Drew Locke stuff? Like, what if there's only one or maybe two quarterbacks in the first round? Like, how different? Here's the like thing, that Danny. to me would be crazy because right now we're talking about four in the first ten. Yeah, Danny, but te- NFL teams aren't that smart. That's, I know. that's it's, the problem. It's probably not going to happen. <laughs> All right. Uh, this was a blast. I'm very glad yeah. we did it. I could not be more excited for tomorrow. Uh, me and Kevin are, and Roger are going to be doing some social video from the office here in LA. Nice. We will be bringing you some live updates. We will be podcasting after the draft tomorrow. Please check all of that out. And for now, thank you guys so much for listening to the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network.